Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 283. This time around, you're joined by visionary filmmaker Adam Sherman and the iconic Natasha Henstridge. At time of release, their new film, This Game's Called Murder, is in theaters and on demand. Descend under the streets of L.A. into a beautiful and bizarre world of fashion, murder, and mayhem that will engulf your imagination. We cover it all. From the copious amounts of gore, the absurdly wonderful costumes, the insane sets and eye candy, as well as one of the coolest scores ever, spearheaded by the great Bear McCreary. Get on your red stilettos and dive into madness with episode 283, now playing. Close your eyes. Now this game is called Snafu. We're actually going to head up a supermarket. Can I come? This is like a movie. Your mom is about to drill a hole through a guy's head. I know, let's watch. You're even crazier than I thought. Oh yeah, way crazier than you thought. Go ahead, scream, that's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two exceptional and fascinating storytellers whose careers continue to be a real testament to breaking new ground, circumventing audience expectations, and really igniting our minds with startling inspiration. She lit the world of sci-fi and horror on fire with her unforgettable debut in 1995's Species, which was grown into a franchise on her shoulders in her astounding portrayal of Syl. She followed that up with films including the Van Damme action classic Maximum Risk and roles in diverse projects from The Outer Limits to South Park. She took a leap into comedy with Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry in The Whole Nine Yards, and we got to really see her remarkable gift for being able to make us laugh with a brilliant and self-aware hint of camp satire and fight sequences with her very own TV series, She Spies. She's worked with the illustrious John Carpenter. She's done CSI, the Golden Globe winning commander in chief, picked up five awards herself along the way, including the Gemini for would-be kings and best actress just this past year for The Unhealer, and whose latest work includes a smash hit legal drama, Digstown. And all of these amazing accomplishments in her past and current work, it's no wonder she's one of the youngest recipients of a Lifetime Achievement Award. Also here with us, a seven-time award-winning visionary filmmaker who makes the most delightfully compelling and disturbing fables, laced with spectacular visual notes, immersive eye candy, and a fearlessness about him that is so palpable that it can be intoxicating. From 2004's feature debut, Dead Doll, to producing the iconic indie gem Risk Cutters, a love story with Tom Waits, writing and directing movies including Happiness Runs, Crazy Eyes, and She's Just a Shadow, he crafts experiences that astonish. They make you laugh. They make you uncomfortable. And most of all, they make you think and talk. His new film is a dark, stunning, bloody, and hilarious tribute to the imagination. It's called This Game's Called Murder. It's out now in theaters and on demand. We are honored to welcome one of its stars, Natasha Henstridge, and its creator, Adam Sherman. 
Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. I'm blushing. That was such a beautiful introduction. My goodness. Wow. Well, well deserved for the both of you. And congratulations on the release. This film is insane. And we have so many questions for both of you. Starting off, before we get into this one, we want to ask each of you, starting with Adam, what is the earliest cinematic experience that you remember having as a viewer where you saw something that went against the grain and either disturbed you, terrified you, or just stuck with you in an unforgettable way? You know, uh, I grew up in the woods in Vermont and like going to the movies was like an hour long drive. And, you know, I was born the same year that the first Star Wars movie was made. So I used to see like, I was disturbed by like, movies that were just popular movies of the time because I was like five years old when I was in the movie theater. Sometimes I would go into like what's like a really popular movie of like the 70s or the early 80s and like I'd be drinking a Coca-Cola which is lots of caffeine and I'd be like eating popcorn. I would just have a panic attack. I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. Like, what's going on? I was like, walk out of the movie theater, be like, oh, oh, try to catch my breath. I'm like, can I? And, and at that time, you can just walk into another movie theater. And like, sometimes my dad would be with me. Sometimes, sometimes my big brother, sometimes my dad. And I just like walk into another movie theater. And I'm like, this is scary too. Now there's wolves. Spaceships, wolves. Uh, can I go out and wait by the car? <laughs> like, oh. I think these were like big, like, studio films that were disturbing me at a very early age. Like, I don't think I was like, once I got into like seeing independent films and like art films and kind of like smaller movies, I think I was already like kind of a young adult. You know, so I think I was just disturbed by big studio movies at an early age, you know? Sure. Yeah. The power to take, somebody under their spell like that I, I can relate to as well every single movie i saw just going to the theater was a terrifying and overwhelming experience to see these stories in that way right yeah it's like everybody blows each other up it's like bang 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 they're all just shooting each other it's like oh my god and we didn't have that all over all over real life except for maybe it was overseas but we didn't have that in the media at that time it was like you know you just saw stormtroopers getting blown up or something similar, you know, Natasha eating someone, you know, it's like, you know. Yeah. The magic of cinema. And how about you, Natasha? <laughs> Any that you can, that you can talk about? Well, I don't remember one because I would fall asleep at the drive-in every single time my parents brought me there. <laughs> the disturbing would start and, you know, I would already be sort of nodding off at that point. So they had it timed out well, you know, uh, but I had, but I had an aunt who liked to watch horror movies. So when I would come back to town, um, I had a younger brother and he would be, you know, seven years old or a little bit older. And, and, you know, I would be a little bit older. My aunt loved to watch scary movies, but she was so afraid of them herself that she would end up having my brother watch them with her. And she thought that was a good idea to have the seven or the five or the seven or the 10 year old watch the movies with her. And sometimes I'd join them for that. But I was always scared of scary movies. too. <laughs> I have to say, I saw the film for our film for the first time a couple days ago. This game's called Murder. And I saw it for the very first time. I was in it. I 
read it, I know what's happening and I know what's coming. And I was jumping and screaming more than any, like I'm so easily jarred in those situations. So it was pretty, it's pretty comical for me to be in these films. (laughs) What was it that brought you both together on this, Natasha? They reached out to me and, um, and, you know, showed me some of the scenes even the whole script, but you know, my, my agents and stuff like that reached out to me and said, Hey, there's this thing. I want you to take a look at it. I'll be interested to see how it came about on Adam's side. But, um, on my side, they said, take a look at it. You know, um, we might be getting an offer on this for you. And, you know, I'd love to get your opinion. And I read it and it's very interesting. Adam is such an obscure writer. So I'm reading it and I'm like, what does this mean? What is happening? And I'm so confused by some of it. And then, you know, there's these cool undercurrents and things. And then I went back and I looked at some of his work because when I read it, I was like, is this, I don't, I don't get it. Like I'm so confused right now. And then I went back and looked at some of his other work, some of his other films. And I went, Oh yeah, he's interesting. Like he's an artist. It's a different, it's almost like poetry on film or philosophy under underlying sort of philosophical things in story form or, you know, so it was really interesting. And I thought when I looked at his other stuff, I was like, this is going to be interesting. He's doing something cool and different here. And I want to be a part of that. And the character allowed me obviously to do really out there things and, you know, get to play and do something I've never done before. So. And Adam, how about you? What was, what about Natasha spoke to you in terms of what you dreamt of bringing to life and Mrs. Wallendorf? I just thought um, she would be cool. And I've seen a lot of her work in the past and I, think she's a great actress and um and I was just like how about Natasha and then and then what she said took place and I was just like how about Natasha that was like basically my side of it yeah yeah so she was the first choice always for that role for you absolutely absolutely oh that's phenomenal that's phenomenal I never they probably went out to about 15 20 people but I I didn't even know it came from no no I didn't even know the thought of it really came from you or because, you know, there's always I mean, obviously you wrote, directed and produced it. So you have all the power, but I didn't know if, you know, there was just a lot of I don't have all the power. There's casting directors. There was other producers. There's people with like money involved and of all the power. It's like, I mean, (laughs) I wrote and directed it and I'm one of the producers, but it's I don't have all the power like. There's a lot of people like there's a lot of a lot of people just saying things and doing things. I mean, even casting directors that you might hire or your producing partners, like if they don't like an idea, like you're not going to send that out yourself. It's like they could be like, oh, we did it and we don't and they didn't respond well. It's like, well, what's that mean? Like, show me. It's like. It's like, and you're working on so many other things as a director. It's like, you don't always know what's going to happen, what did happen, what didn't happen. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you don't know. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. um, no, I mean, I absolutely, like, I, I, have, I have some power and some creative power, but absolutely not all of it. And in pre-production, you're so overwhelmed. It's like, I was doing storyboarding, I was casting, I was 
looking at locations. I was doing revisions on the script and everything all at once and like saying, how about this actor? How about that actor? Can we get that actor? And they're like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, no, it's like, I don't have the, the power over something really. It's like these things just sort of happen. What was your gateway into creating this story? Like the initial seed or idea, maybe a few of the images that you had in your mind that, that kind of launched the ship for you for this one? Well, the first thing I was thinking of was corruption in the fashion industry. But I don't think it went in that direction. I started going into a direction of like, I, like, I, like I mentioned, I grew up in the woods in Vermont. And I didn't really know about like art films or independent films until I was a young adult. I was more into like literature and like art. So I think like I was into like Grimm's fairy tales and just like images from like art and like a lot of things like that. So a lot of people are like, why are your movies so weird? It's like, I didn't see that many movies. I'm not like, I wasn't privy to like, tons of French and Italian film. Well, actually, I'm kidding. I was. My dad, my dad's an art professor and he showed me all that stuff. But, you know, <laughs> I had a fever when he was showing it to me because I was snowboarding too much. <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, okay, you've got a fever now. Um, can you lay down and watch some, um, the movies like Kurosawa and Godard and stuff. And I was like, uh, like how I couldn't move. And I was like, okay, so my dad does when I have a fever. And that's amazing seeing that stuff on a fever too, right? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, but, 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 but what I actually was into was like literature and art. And I'm not saying that they, they're not artists. Of course they are like wildly successful, amazing world-class artists, but, um, you know, I was, I was, um, I'm, 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 I'm just into art. Like I make movies, but I'm more into art and literature. Well, do we even have modern literature? Maybe it's this, is, is this art? For sure. Yeah. It's us talking. It's like modern art and literature. A thousand percent. I don't even know where we live now. One thing to note, there is a remarkable poetry and poignancy in the way that you write, Adam, and you can see it on display in this movie. A couple lines in particular, our hearts dropped when Jennifer's character says, it's not what it looks like, it's what it feels like. Um, Another one, I suppose love and gold are somewhat similar. There's always murder involved when either one is on the line. Are there any particular lines that have any particular significance to you or that you were particularly proud of discovering? I think those lines are great. And I think you're right. Like having some, you know, like I have to thank my dad for, for showing me movies like the love and gold thing. He was showing me movies like treasure of the Sierra Madre when I was, you know, 10 years old and I had a fever and I was trying to do some, stupid rip off of that. And then what was the other line where it's not what it looks like. It's what it feels like. Maybe that's just the way it is. You know, just trying to portray like things aren't always the way they look. Maybe they're more the way they feel, you know, especially when you're making a movie like sound and colors 
being portrayed to you on a screen and there's feelings involved in life. And, you know, people say, um, and it was also, it's also, um, it was just a reaction to the other line. It's like, it was a joke line. It's like he covers the girl that he was with up with a blanket and says, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. So then it naturally like just formed as a writer, like it's not what it looks like, what it feels like, you know, just, I don't know, just formed. A beautiful moment, really impactful. Vanessa was amazing in this film. Had you seen her in something else that made you so excited to have her be part of this film? You know, you want to know the funny thing? Like, I know Vanessa is a very established actress and it's been an honor to work with her. But she walked into the audition room and I just cast her immediately. I had no idea who she was. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about her other work. It's just like she was so good, just straight up good and talented. It's like when she came in, she was reading lines that I wrote and I thought she was talking to me. I think uh, I, I, think I, I think I answered. Uh, I was like, uh, uh, what? and then I was like, wait, I, I wrote, she was already auditioning and I just like answered and I was like, get that girl. And they're like, you know who she is? I was like, no. She was awesome in the show Switched at Birth. I was hooked on that one. <laughs> yeah, Natasha, you had some of the best uh, gore scenes, and your character is seemingly obsessed with head trauma violence. <laughs> what were some of the challenges in working with uh, special effects and weapons for those murder scenes? <laughs> well, there's one in particular that really stands out. <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> I was talking about it all the way home from the premiere a couple nights ago. <laughs> the scene that I take the sword to my sometimes boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> uh, that one was an interesting one because obviously, you know, I, there, I had a quite a bit of dialogue to say during that particular murder, <laughs> that particular one. Um, and so we had special effects people in, you know, we had to contain something. So we got a box, I believe we tried a few different things, but I needed to have something to stab into. So I needed, you know, the sword, I needed to have something to stop the sword. So we found pillows and things. And, but then we needed the blood to be squirting up on my face. So they had some sort of bag or something where they would, you know, squirt the blood up every time I'm pushing down. So of course I'm like pushing down. There's a special effects guy down on the floor, looking up at me. I'm looking down doing this thing and they're squirting blood. And there were times when it was so heavy, I couldn't remember a word of my dialogue because it would literally just be soaking me in the face. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> like I'm drowning, standing up, you know, kind of, it was very, very comfortable, very, very funny day at the office. And I just thought, wow, this is what I do. <laughs> These are the random days that we have at work, you know, that was, but it was really, it was a lot of fun. I've never done anything that kind of, you know, verging on just that heightened reality verging on. And that one in particular, I thought came across in the, you know, you do get the levity, the lightness of it because the movie can be super shocking and very dark and times and stuff like that but there is a light there's a lot there's a comedy right there's a comedy book and i think adam said earlier there's a co comedy book element to the thing as well and and i think it came across in that particular scene for me and my character more so 
Um, so yeah, that was, that was an interesting one with special effects for that one, for sure. And you've worked with, I mean, a history of the best of the best from K and B to Steve Johnson on, on this one, who was the, at the helm of the, the special effects in terms of the gore and stuff. There was a team called masters effects that did the bulk of the effects and, and they did like a, a digital and practical mix, which was great because we got to hit Natasha in the face with real blood then she got to kill her kind of boyfriend character with like, you know, digital effects partly and fake blood partly. It was like, so like, um, I think one of the wonderful things of the way um, gore technology is going is to mix real fake blood with digital fake blood and different things, how it's needed and how, and how it can be used. The wonderful way to like mix, you know, the blood and gore is like, um, you know, like you can't like chop sever into someone's head with a real sword and see it clearly. Like you can't, if you, if you freeze those frames on the camera, the sword like embeds itself into the dude's skull. You can't do that with, um, you know, we didn't cut away. It's, it's digital. And we have real blood like spraying in her face. So that was her experience. And then, you know, the dude's being stabbed and he's spitting blood. And then we have like fake blood. And yeah, Jetson was doing a great job of his death performance. And, you know, the whole thing was, it's like a combination of performance um, practical effects and digital effects. The head exploding effects and all that done the same way, a mix of CGI and practical. They were incredible. Yeah. I mean, there were stunt people. There was in some cases, um, dummies with their heads part blown up falling. There was, um, uh, part digital, just blood blowing up all over the place. But then even the cool thing is like, the digital blood is like real blood. It's like they collage. It's like they blow up a packet of real blood and like put it there or something. Oh. It's like they frame by frame, like put, it's like, it's like, it's like they put it on the end of a, just a tripod and be like, bam. And the blood goes. Whoosh. And then they like, okay, put it on this guy's head and eliminate like a part of it. And then it's like, boom. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's a real explosion of real fake blood and still like, you know, an elimination of a partial real human space. So we're getting to a point where we can merge these, we're merging the technology of practical and digital in horror effects in a way, which I think is really wonderful. And, um, and it looks, it look, just looks great to me. I mean, digital always looks fake and real. You always have to like cut away or do something else, which has been done so well so many times. Like, you know, like Alfred Hitchcock, for example, he did that better than anyone else ever could any, any better than, I mean, I could never do it as well as Alfred Hitchcock, but he would have loved to have Natasha just hit someone in the head with a real sword. I could guarantee that. The Boo Crew will be right back. Edgar Allan Poe wrote Spirits of the Dead with a pen dipped in warm blood. You will see the ultimate in terror with this important all-star cast. Brigitte Bardot, Alain Delon, 
Jane Fonda, Terence Stamp, and Peter Fonda in Edgar Allan Poe's Spirits of the Dead. Only Poe's demented genius could bring to the screen such horror and evil. Spirits of the Dead stars Brigitte Bardot, Alain Delon, Jane Fonda, Terence Stamp, and Peter Fonda, directed by three masters of the cinema, Federico Fellini, Louis Mal, and Roger Vadim. Spirits of the Dead is an adventure in terror beyond your wildest nightmares. Spirits of the Dead in color is rated R. Natasha, our favorite line of yours, want me to put on mellow jazz and dance around <laughs> dance around naked while you die. What, <laughs> what did you love about the way that, th- that this character was written and what creativity do you find it unlocked within you? Oh, God, I really love that line, too. I think that's right up my favorites, too. To be honest, wait, one, I think right before that line, there's a part where I go, can you talk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought in the head. Right. And he, right you know stuff like you know dying and i'm like can you talk you want me to dance around naked for yeah it was really i mean this stuff is you know coming out of adam sherman's head but it's it is fun to play and like where it comes from i don't need to get into all of that <laughs> like every great artist right like i've worked with geek and like you know just interesting artists that come up with the stuff that are so actually in, in Adam's case and Geer's case, funny enough, quite soft-spoken and, and not loud, aggressive people in any way, shape or form, but like these ideas and concepts that it's just, it's just fascinating to listen to, to watch. But um, this character for me to get to play her and for her, I, it, I felt like I was doing theater in some ways. Um, and I, I just thought I never really got to play anything big. I, in fact, most of the time with directors with me, they're like, bring it up. Like I am, I can be quite subdued, you know, quite underplay with a lot of the different characters that I played. And so um, to get to play something so wildly psychopathic, large bit, you know, confused, obviously there's the two character dynamic going on there, the sort of schizophrenic or bipolar personality, the other, the other, you know, character of mine in the mirror, which was interesting. So it's like the voices in my head that are telling me to do things. And, um, but to get to play something so wildly violent, but she almost doesn't even, she doesn't care. She doesn't recognize it as that. She's just like doing what she's doing and feels completely entitled to. It's like a crazy, um, you know, it's like an entitled, desperate housewife on acid. You know what I mean? She kind of comes across as like a a gory Disney evil queen or something. Right, right. Who just gets off on the twistedness of it all, you know? Yeah, super, super. Um, and to play something out as outrageous as that, it, it's liberating your, you know, you can go so far with that kind of thing. And the words were already there. So that was like nothing was ever changed. It was, you know, the words, the dialogue, which is also so out there. And I was going to say earlier to, to Adam's writing, I just think I came away from the movie the other night and I'm not, a, to be honest with you, I don't really like things that scare me or, or you know, things that jar me and stuff. But 
But so for me, I'm always like, oh, God, oh, oh, gee, oh. I look back at Adam. He was sitting behind me at the premiere. I look back at him at one point. I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but oh, what I, I that moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I, I really, not know to look at the, at the time. What'd you, what'd it, you say? It, was, it, was, it was somebody's head blew up and she looked at me and I was like, like, yeah. But what I come away with, and my favorite, one of my favorite writers is a, is a, a writer called Paolo Coelho, and he tells stories, but they're done in this really, um, not only poetic, but uh, I don't know, there's like a profan- profoundness, not profanity, different word. Um, there's something very profound about his writing. And this for me, and, 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 and Adam always like seems to say, sometimes it's just a joke or it just made sense with what the other person was saying. But for me, I see so much, so much more profound under meaning to almost every line that he has. So I walked away with that. It's like, oh, dude, wow. Oh, my God. It's, it's fascinating to me. I, I like that a lot. I think. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, a lot going on there. <laughs> a lot going. On. That it definitely is. And when when this movie starts, I mean, it hits you. All that stuff you're talking about hits you instantaneously with a, kind of like a wall of imagery and mm. sound. It's brain candy. Your neurons start firing with that opening a hypnosis monologue. You know, Ron Perlman kind of ushering you into this experience with the the shot of the the ocean waves i guess against the sand and the colors changing and you start kind of lulling you into this experience i was almost afraid to give myself to that hypnosis at the beginning i was like fucked up right at the start going oh my god this is this is going to be a different experience when did you come up with that part of it uh adam as far as like the way to bring us into that and starting with that that opening piece well i think um I think the hypnosis was part of it, but I didn't know it would start with that. Mm-hmm. And somehow um, I brought it to start like that. And then I got lucky enough to be working with Ron Perlman and his acting and his voice and just, you know, like the way he brings life to those words is really what makes it so hypnotic right from the start. It was like, but the idea of hypnosis was always there. It was just, I didn't know it would even be at the beginning. And of course I didn't know it would be him when I was writing. So it just kind of worked out that well, which is kind of wonderful for the movie. One of the things we, we noticed right off the top is the, the score is incredible. And Bear McCreary is probably one of our favorite composers working today. He's done uh, like babysitter the killer queen that we love and the happy death day freaky. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but to hear what he does in your film is among his, his greatest work. It, it captures all, he really gets a chance to lean into the whimsical side of what he does. Were you drawn to him for any reason in particular? Was it just something that organically happened? Yeah, I was drawn. He was my first choice also. I was drawn to him. I showed him a rough cut of the film. Um, I had a temp score. I think he liked the temp score that I had. And he, and I just remember him. I I was hoping that he would do it. And he, he didn't have much to say when he saw the film was positive, everything that he said, but he just sort of was kind of grinning subtly as he watched it. And he wasn't going to be like, I am going to do it or I'm not going to do it. He just kind of like, I just remember him smiling 
And then um, I think he, I think he really, obviously, he really enjoyed it because he ended up doing the score. And then um, the collaboration process was wonderful because it was like, you know, he just knew he did, he just knew what to do. It's like it's like it's like it wasn't like, hey, could you try this, that, and the other thing? And it's like, oh man, could you just try this, that, and the other thing again some other way? It's like he just did it better than I could have imagined. Like right off the bat, like over nine times out of 10, it was just like, bam, 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 just nailing everything, making it cooler than I could possibly imagine. I was like, dude, this is incredible. But, but what are you going to do? He's like, no, 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 I'm going to make it better. He's like, I'm going to make it. He's like, you're going to make it better than this? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just the start. So I was like, awesome. Let's just make it better. <laughs> it's like, that's better. I make it better. I don't know, I don't know how to. It's like, Mostly with him, it was like, it was just a pleasure to work with him. And he was super, he was a super cool guy, super intellectual. He knows a lot about, you know, he understands like the scenes. He knows tremendous, tremendously well-educated about music and scores and just things. And, and it was just like, you know, he knew what he was doing and he was just like really a pleasure to work with. He's like, phenomenal composer just like you guys said yeah was he instrumental in bringing the because I, I know there was some there was some Oingo Boingo alumnus on playing some of the instruments like Steve Bartek and John Avila and another composer we know Ego Plum who's fantastic and he collaborated with those guys on this did you have anything to do with that or was that kind of off in, in his hands in his world it was all in his hands in his world He he's the composer and all of the musicians and um and assistant composers that he brought in. That's all him. I had nothing to do with that. It's all there. Natasha, tell us about your amazing mansion in the film. What are we looking at here? Is it a set, an actual house? And in either case, how did it inform your performance? Oh my gosh, what a great location. It's a house in, I believe it's the Las Feliz area. I could be a little off on the exact area. It's a house that they do use for quite a few films. A lot of things are filmed there, actually. Um, I don't have the list because of my bad memory right now, but tons of stuff films there. It looks very much the way it looks in the film. And it's a spectacular, spectacular place to film. So the, in, the, sort of the interior was one place and the exterior was a different place, by the way. But um, what an incredible place. Very similar to what you see in the film. I mean, they set dressing and the co- you know people on this film were creative forces all the way around um, from props to set dress to, you know, you know, all of the above costumes, everything. But, but that was a, that was an actual house. Yeah. You know, you feel like you're in a, you're in a, you know, I'm an important person. I'm an important Mrs. Wallendorf is not playing around. Like she knows what's up and it does. Yeah. I would say it does. It does have an impact on what you're doing as opposed to, there's always something great about being on location in general, your surroundings. I always feel like so impressed and I've done some green screen work for sure, but I'm always so impressed with people. They've done actual shows where almost everything is green screen. And and for me, like the touch, the smell, the, the vibe of a place, like it does all inform. It's like your hair and makeup. It's like the other people you work with. It's all a work in progress and it's like all of those things come together and they do inform what you do what you see how you behave in a scene as a character so yeah no absolutely 
I know Natasha just talked about props, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, which this movie had the craziest props. You had those gold bars, ramen, swords, blood. I mean, it was just that that portrait, the family portrait. Oh, yeah. The uh, costuming was incredible. And I feel like it really matched the personality of each character. Did Mm -hmm. either one of you get to keep anything from the production? I didn't keep anything. Roger Forker did did the costumes, and I feel like I am just so blown away by him. I was quite heavy at the time too, so it was like he really had his work cut out for him in my case. But um, but yeah, he's 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 just I just everything that I saw, and it was fun and it's creative, and he just he's fluid in the way that he approaches you know that. But you're right; everyone had their own personal style and. Um, I just thought, I just thought he did such a spectacular job. It's a visual, like, it's just visually so fun to look at. I don't know what the process was like or how intense the storyboards, because I know Adam has very specific imagery as well. So, but I think how they came together and put stuff together was just, we spent some time at a, at a, a costume house and he was just pulling and placing and throwing and doing, and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Adam, did you keep anything? Uh, yeah, I kept a couple of things. Do you got the um, Do you got the painting hanging on your in your in your place? I should have grabbed it. You know, I should have grabbed that off set. There was there was like two versions of it, and of all the things I forgot to just grab off because people just grab these things off set in the end of the day. But like the one thing I don't have is the painting. It's like I should have mm-hmm. grabbed the painting. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's but, out. Um, I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, I have a couple of little knickknacks, you know. Um, but um, the the props and the wardrobe and the set dressing and everything it was really a big collaboration, and people were really working very hard, and and that's why it looks it looks the way it looks. You know, it's like really, um, you know, we didn't have much time, and people were moving into locations and getting the actors dressed and doing the makeup and dressing the sets. And it was, it was done really rapidly and, you know, it looks the way it looks and, and I hope other people feel like it looks good and we did our best. For you to say that it was a rapid process, it does not come across like that. It comes across as a highly thought out, detailed, laborious process. Not saying that it wasn't a laborious process because I know a a ton of work went into this, but the amount of work comes across. You see a great coordination, like kind of like the choreography between what actors are wearing and other things in the scene. The colors really bounce off each other. Even the fruit loops on Jennifer's head, there's colors in there that, you know, ignite other things around the room, her outfits, the green hair, the striped hats, uh, the morning outfits that they're wearing after a certain death in the, in the movie, all of these things just light the screen on fire. And is that stuff that, you initially that, conceived that out. it's just the time we had to do it while shooting minimal that it was like just such a scramble you know a lot, like of course those things we thought out it's not like it's not like it was like okay let's go cheerios and vanessa's hair like last minute it was like it was the execution of it was planned yeah but the execution of it was very much like haphazard okay let's get in her hair it's like do we really have to it's like yes (laughs) how 
chocolate fix because of sugar. Like, <laughs> you know, I was literally going, I was literally like that. Wow. One of our favorites uh, sets is that kind of that, I don't know if it's a sewer, it feels like it could be in the sewer tunnels, it feels like it could be under a bridge or something where the main uh, characters kind of do, or Jennifer's crew kind of do a lot of their hanging out, and there's such a heightened level of um, distortion of reality there, because it's always dark, we don't know what time of day it is, we are not really sure exactly where it is, they're having breakfast burritos at one point, and it's pitch black, and you got this neon lights, and it throws us off, and that's one of the things I love about the experience is I love being thrown off. I love not feeling normal when I'm watching something. And that's a very hard thing to achieve. Is there a set of yours in the film that you figure is your favorite? Uh, well, I can speak to the set you're talking about. Um, we were, we were over four stories underground in downtown LA in an abandoned. It was pretty extreme. It was an extreme place to work. Thing was hard for the whole crew and I'm just grateful that everyone stuck with me and like believed that it was like a cool place to shoot and it was and you know we were like we were just way way beneath the earth like in downtown LA and it was like and it looked cool to me too like you know that's why we were shooting there but it did take a lot of effort there was no elevators you know my 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 wonderful grip and electrician team like got everything down there wardrobes and costumes like got everything all the actors like had to walk like down these like weird narrow areas it was like it was not like it was it was it was definitely um a unique place to work you know and there was there was some dangers there i believe you know it's like we were we were very far underground how did you find this place? Had you seen it before somewhere? It was a, um, it was shown to me by a Teamsters location scout. Um, the location scout who's credited in the movie. I'm sorry, I forget his name, but, um, our location scout showed it to me as one of many locations. And, and I was like, well, is it really okay if we shoot here? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, well, let's do it. Unbelievable. Wow. And did you really get to trash a grocery store? Oh, we really did. Because you want to know what happened? What? Okay, it was a funny story. They only had enough props for like two grocery bags of props. Oh, wow. And we were allowed to like, and I was like, and, and I thought they were going to like, and, and, and the idea behind the scene was like they, they, walk into the grocery store and just fill up the grocery carts with groceries, but there wasn't enough groceries to fill up the cart. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go the other way with this. So I was like, I was like, so as soon as, so like, as soon as the cameras were rolling, I was like, okay, go nuts. Just throw everything, like do hook shots with the meat into the, like pour the, pour the, you know, fruits, like just go, I just like had it like, I was like, okay, but you don't have, I mean, there's no way to shoot the scene with like two bags of groceries as props. So we're just going to literally trash the grocery store and like deal with the consequences later. And the consequences were not that bad because what we ended up doing is we, we bought the groceries, gave them to our own, our own catering. And we, um, and we ate them all. <laughs> it's a great idea. Wow. Wasted. And it was, so it was all good. And I, I and, and then, you know what I noticed? 
the quality of the food on set went up for like a few days. Everyone was like, like some, Adam, are you sure there wasn't a piece of broccoli laying on the floor for like two minutes? And I was like, probably, but do you know what actually happens to food? Like prior to getting to like catering in real life, it's like that stuff gets washed. It's going to be cleaned. It's fresh. It's like, it like, no joke, the quality of the food, like, went up, and, like, I was eating it. It was, like, a lot of fruit, meats, and, like, more vegetables, and it was, like, higher quality food for, like, a few days off. All that. <laughs> That's amazing, man. <laughs> yeah, we just trashed the store. Then then um, my line producer brought, bought all the groceries, and we ate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, since you touched about the grocery store scene and... uh uh, I was just wondering about the scenes with Vanessa and the Fruit Loop serial uh, head scene, and, you know, the store robbery, uh, all those comedy scenes. Were any of those scenes inspired and improvised on the spot, perhaps because of observing the actors working together? I, I can I can say from my I can say from my I mean, Adam's going to have a much broader um, answer to that. Uh, he knows he was there for all of it. But everything we did was actually scripted. Everything was was like to the word. It was all very, very scripted in, in my case. So I don't know about the other actors, the other scenes, but. And Adam, what about you? Was there any moments of improvisation or was everything kind of all re- regimented to the script? There's always moments of improvisation in, in my movies, but it's always also regimented to the script. Like if an actor says, can I say, if, if, if the line is, hey, it's good to see you this morning. And an actor says, can I say, Good morning, or would you like to have breakfast? I'll always be like, let's try both. You know, so there's always, and then sometimes what the actor says is better. Or like, you know, there's always a little bit, you know, it's like, there's always a little improv, but it's always, I, I, get, I always try to get my lines that I wrote. And then if I want to do a little improv with the actors, I, I, I do a little improv also. And then it's like, you know, I have a little, like some options and sometimes improv can loosen people up it's like you know it's like let's try saying this and that instead of that and this and then we go back to that and this and back to this and that and i don't know what's gonna end up better in the editing room you know so a little bit you know we followed the script but you know just like in terms of dialogue or there's just a little bit of this and that versus that and this yeah yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Oh, one, one last thing i was really curious about is um if there's any backstory behind Jennifer Wallendorf's fascinating uh, carriage, her, her mode of transportation, that is quite interesting and unique. To be honest, I would love to say that I had like an incredible backstory. It like comes from this, comes from that. No, I invented it. It's like, That's great. Wouldn't though. It, be cool, wouldn't it be cool if you saw a pedicab? Like, and I want to be decorated like this. I was like, I was just being visual artist on that. There's no, there's no meaning or not meaning or known symbology i don't know like i was like i think this was gonna look cool literally it certainly did every time i saw it i was like oh yeah Yeah. this dude again this is great (laughs) so awesome i pulled up to work one day and they were on that and i was like you know there were moments when i thought there's no way what was on the page will come out to be what we see there's just no way because it's so out you know it's just so when you read it it's like huh what what's that gonna look and then I would pull up to like the Wallendorf's house, the outdoor house, and I see that pedicab, and they're pulling it up. I'm like, no, they managed to do it. They actually managed to, they actually managed to make it as weird as it was written. <laughs> it's awesome. 
That is so cool. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> yeah. surreal and wonderful. So uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Natasha, what's coming down next to the pike for you after this project? What do you currently got on deck? I'm actually um, producing a Christmas movie right now. No way! Ooh, I love Christmas movies. Nice. I do too. I'm a sucker for them. Um, it there's not a lot less murder in it, but it's actually an edgier Christmas. It's an it's an edgier kind of Christmas movie. It's called All I Want for Christmas right now, at least. So we're getting we're getting very close on that. Um, what else do I have coming up? done a couple of other things i do my tv oh i've got a film uh, funny enough a christmas film that i did in rome that'll be coming out i guess next year i think it was a little late on the draw this time but um and then i do a tv show in canada and so we'll see and some other things are you know being talked about and shooting soon so we'll see what happens with them but until they're until they're in the can, so to speak, no point. <laughs> no, that's very fun. We can't wait. We're yeah, huge yeah. fans, so this is great. And then, yes. Adam, how about you? Beyond this film, are you currently working on on your next, the follow-up? I'm developing a gnarly movie where everyone gets slaughtered and killed in the swamp, dragged off into their death and smeared and blood tossed everywhere and stabbed and stabbed in the guts on Christmas. <laughs> Yay. I love it. And that sounds like a joke, but it might not be. <laughs> right, exactly. We'll have to see. Produced maybe by uh, Natasha Hansridge. <laughs> <laughs> so I, would, I would love to have her involved. Uh, perfect. I'm in. I would do anything. That would be amazing, guys. All right. Well, on that note, I mean, thank you both so much for what you do. Thanks for this wonderfully bizarre yes. journey and yeah. for making something singular, entirely original and, and unforgettable with this game's called Murder. We love it, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right, you guys. Thanks again. We'll do this again Thanks, soon. Guys. Thank you. See ya. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 283. Special thanks to our guests, Adam Sherman and Natasha Henstridge. Follow them at Natasha Henstridge and at Adam Sherman Film on Instagram. At time of release, this game's called Murder. It's in theaters and on demand. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.